On today's show, the Atlanta Hawks are officially in off-season mode as it turns to May on the calendar. We'll get into how you could prepare for the off-season with regard to the top storylines for the Hawks, from the draft to free agency to the new regime and more. All of that on the way. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1463 of the Lothan Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Monday. And today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. If you're a first time user, you can use the promo code locked on to have 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Again, that promo code is locked on, prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. And today's episode, we'll be diving into the offseason. It is now May 1st, which means that it's a new month. And of course, the Hawks are eliminated from the playoffs. And we all kind of know that already, but we're setting the table a little bit on today's episode with five kind of primary big picture storylines for the offseason. We'll have plenty of guests on the way to talk about the draft and free agency and trade stuff in the future, but I feel like it's a good time to kind of reset things, start a new week, start a new month with some big picture topics. And I also want to encourage you at the top of the podcast to make us your first listen each and every day by subscribing to the podcast, listening to us across podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We're also on places like Stitcher and Overcast and Google Play, as well as on the video side over on YouTube. And we'll dive right in. So I really do appreciate everybody listening to the podcast. Hopefully we have some new listeners coming out of the playoffs. And uh, thanks for sticking sticking with us. And that certainly spread the word to your friends as well. We will start with our first topic, which is going to be the salary cap situation for the Hawks. And by the way, as a little bit of a peek forward, the rest of our topics, we're going to talk about the new regime of the Hawks, both coaching staff and front office, who's extension eligible for Atlanta. And there are three guys to keep an eye on there. Also, the potential trade stuff in the front court in particular with regard to some veterans. And then we'll end the podcast with, with some draft chatter about the Hawks who have two picks in this year's NBA draft, which is, by the way, less than two months away at this juncture. So on the cap side, on the bright side here for the Hawks, they only have two for agents. That's a very small number. And it's actually only Aaron Holiday, who was on a one-year minimum contract, and Trent Forrest, who's, on, who's actually on a two-way contract. So not a huge... Um, you know, sort of projected definite swing there for the Hawks. And they do have two, sorry, they do have four players on non-guaranteed contracts that would be very easy to move on from if they wanted to or needed to for cap reasons or flexibility reasons, et cetera. Those four players, Bruno Fernando, Garrison Matthews, Beat Krejci, and Tyrese Martin. Plus they had Donovan Williams on a two-way contract that's actually going to be carrying over to next year. But if they wanted to have that spot be uh, cleared off, they could go ahead and do that pretty easily as well. But the unfortunate part about that, and really most of it is good, Usually when you have all your guys under contract, it's, it's probably a good thing. The Hawks just have a lot of money committed to this team, both for next year coming up in 24-25 and 25-26 uh, and beyond that. So uh, lots of stuff on the books here. In fact, almost $164 million committed to only 10 players for the 23-24 season. Trey is the only guy over $25.5, $26 million, but they have five guys between $17 million and about $26 million. Plus, a Kongwu making more than $8 million on the final year of his rookie contract. So, lots of salary on the books. And for some context about that, what is actually about $163.8 million is that the salary cap line, again, the cap line, not the tax, but the salary cap line is $134 million projected. That could change between now and July, but it won't change drastically. So, you know, almost $30 million over the cap, which be, you know, I, I often still get questions about what the Hawks are going to do with their quote unquote cap space. 
They don't have any. They're not even close to having cap space. They do have some exceptions to potentially use. They could use a mid-level exception, whether even whether it be non-taxpayer mid-level or the taxpayer mid-level if they're over the tax line. But there, there are ways to add to the team, um, both by signing players and trading players, et cetera. But as far as cap space, traditionally, that is uh, long gone for Atlanta at this point. In fact, the Hawks, are, the Hawks are actually over the tax line right now, which is projected at about $162 million. As a reminder, by the way, I've mentioned 10 guys under contract for almost 164 for the Hawks. That number is the bare minimum because you can't just roll with 10 guys. You have to fill out the roster with at least 14 players. So even if the Hawks were to sign four minimum contracts, which, by the way, would not be a great situation to build this roster with, they'd still be well over the tax line. And by the way, the first round pick the Hawks have, which we'll come back to later on in the podcast, has a first year salary of about $4 million. So even if you had that plus minimums, you'd be well over Long story short, the Hawks are over the tax line right now. That's not going to change unless they trade players to save money. I'm going to hold off talking about the new CBA uh, in deep terms right now and all of the additional penalties that could be coming in the, in the future with second aprons and all those fun things. Mostly because I, I don't think the Hawks are going to be going crazy on the money side, but I should say this right now. The Hawks have a big picture decision to make with regard to the luxury tax this summer. I pointed this out a lot before this last season that the Hawks were going to not just might, we're going to get under the tax line somehow, no matter what. And I, I was right about that, honestly. But they found a way to get under the under the tax, but both by the Ken Herter trade, saving money there, saving money again in the Mo Harkless trade, then operating all of their deadline moves with an understanding that they were not going to go over the tax line. Um, credit to them, by the way, for getting Sadiq Bey, who is a very cheap contract and is a very helpful player. At the same time, they paid more draft capital to get under the tax because you might forget this now, but they, they had to shed Justin Holiday's salary to get cheaper to take on Sadiq Bay without going into the tax. So all those moves were in conjunction with each other. This time around, it'd be more difficult even this time to be under the tax line because, again, they have so much more money committed. They're already over the line right now. Also, they want to win, and there'll be pressure, I think, internally after the way they perform this year in the regular season, especially. It's also hard to improve your team while actively cutting money. That was part of the problem of last year and why I think in particular the herd trade got a lot of attention, both for me and other people, is that it wasn't like they were losing this superstar asset, but they were making the team worse for money reasons. And that's the problem is that it's hard to get cheaper while getting better. And the Hawks are going to be in that, in that same spot again because everybody wants to get better. After this last season where the Hawks were frustrating, they were all disappointed with how they performed. They are much better in the playoffs for sure, but it's hard to get better and get cheaper at the same time, which is a problem they're going to have, at least potentially, going into this, this year. I will not go player by player and talk about their contracts and all their money for next, next season, but it's worth noting that Trey, DeJounte, Bogdanovich, Capella, Collins, Hunter, Okongwu all get raises from last year to this year. And Hunter's almost doubles, actually more than doubles, because of his extension starting. So if you're wondering how the Hawks got so much more expensive, it's because most, not all, most contracts increase in value year over year. Now, Bogey just signed an extension that begins to, de begins to decrease, but it starts higher this year than it did last year. Then it goes down from there, which is part of the appeal of that contract, but most deals go up, and a lot of the Hawks' core guys have deals that are rising at this point in time. I do want to add one thing clearly. For the everyday listeners, you will know this, that I banged the drum again a lot last year. The Hawks are not going to go into the tax. I heard that repeatedly. No matter what Tony Russler has to say or anyone else, anyone else had to say publicly, they were never going into the tax last year. That was correct. This time around, though, I don't have the same conviction on that, which is a positive in some ways. It would be harder this time to get under the tax. That's one thing. And also, there's a new regime in place. You're talking about Quinn Snyder. You're talking about Landry Fields um, as the primary GM, Kyle Korver, and obviously the wrestler family. 
Um, it could be argued last season, at least, that it was somewhat prudent to stay under because you avoid the repeater tax and all that stuff. That only matters if you go over now. But potentially that was part of the that was part of the plan. If you want to be kind in the viewpoint, so ultimately, ultimately, we'll see what happens. I am not, in contrast to last year, I'm not going to come on this podcast right now on May 1st and tell you that the Hawks are not going to go into the tax. They might. I, I kind of believe it when I see it mode on the tax and spending for the Hawks because they've just never done it in this regime. But given the setup, given what they've said publicly, even sort of they've kind of uh, been, I think, misleading people at times on that. But I do think that the Hawks could go over the tax line, could stay over the tax line because right now, again, they're over right now. So keep an eye on that in the future. The tax, uh, the tax and the cap sheet are always of importance. I know a lot of fans don't really love this stuff, and I get why. But in the NBA, a, a salary cap driven league, it does all matter. And uh, that is where the Hawks stand at this juncture. One more thing here as we sort of transition. Um, the new regime is a talking point for obvious reasons. Um, we'll start with the unquestioned positive that is Quinn Snyder. He took over in February, and the results will not blow you away in terms of wins and losses in the regular season, but the team's playing style changed in a positive direction in my view. I love that hire of Quinn Snyder. Um, he was the guy that I wanted. I said as much um, as far as all the reasonably available candidates. I stand by that. It's also an incredibly difficult situation that he came into trying to overhaul things in the middle of a season that was all bizarre and difficult and challenging. And they all admit that, but he did a good job of that as well as the staff and the players. I talked about this a lot on Friday with exit interviews as well, by the way, that podcast is still in your feed right now, but everyone, and I mean, everyone praised Quinn Snyder to the point where it was kind of very clear to me that they were very positive about him. Generally speaking, you don't want to go overboard with that, but I think there was clear optimism with regard to the Hawks and how they feel about Snyder. And especially with a full a full, a full summer now to evaluate things and a full training camp to implement some stuff that he wasn't able to put in last year. All good vibes, A-plus stuff on the head coaching side. As far as the assistant staff goes, I've been saying for a while, really since the, he, the, the, he took over, that I would expect big-time turnover on the assistant staff. That is very much the standard operating procedure. You cannot expect a head coach to come in and just keep everybody. That's, that just never happens. In fact, most guys clear the entire staff. They might keep one. I used this example, example before, but when Budenholzer left and Lloyd Pierce came in, they kept Chris Jett, but it was just Chris Jett that had come in and he had just gotten to Bud's staff. So that was one of those like rare stick arounds. But generally speaking, most assistants get cleared out when you change the regime. It was already reported that former Notre Dame coach Mike Bray is going to be on the staff for next year. And it was reported over the weekend, I think it was uh, it was Zach Klein of WSB, that most of the staff's going to be changing. Again, that is expected. I thought that was going to be the case all the way through. Pretty much, again, standard operating procedure. I know people like love Joe Prunty at this point, uh, by the way, 2-0 as the Hawks head coach. Uh, but Joe's going to be in high demand. I mean, he's a established assistant coach. You got um, guys up and down that roster of, of assistants that have qualities that you would like, but probably will be elsewhere next season and then beyond Snyder by the way there is still real uncertainty with this front office and I'm not trying to be negative about it at all but Travis Schlenk's gone and he was gone before the trade deadline for sure but it's different for a GM now a first-time GM and Landry Fields to be in the chair for a full offseason with actual um, you know abilities to change things in a big way I've been upfront about this I don't have a great read yet on Landry and Kyle I think I've you know I have a decent idea of what they want to do but with Travis there was a record on paper of what he was kind of doing and his trends and what he liked and what he didn't like, et cetera. It's more uncertain now. Um, it'll be interesting to kind of learn about that. Also Snyder unquestionably, I want to I'll say this again, unquestionably has a huge voice in the personnel. He's not the GM. He's not the president of basketball operations, but Snyder, I think everyone understands this is going to have a big voice in the front office in a way that Nate McMillan did not have. So that'll be interesting as well. Plus you have Tony Ressler, who is famously a pretty hands-on owner. Again, no matter what he says, he has been um, very active in dictating decisions at times in the past. 
You have his son who's been reported to be very much in the mix as well. So lots of different kind of people involved in the process and a lot more uncertainty than they've had in the past. So in short, I am quite confident that the Hawks got a lot better at head coach. All due respect to Nate McMillan. I think Quinn is much better than he is. Um, but we'll see how the rest of it holds up with regard to the front office and the ownership and all that stuff. That, that is kind of where the point of uncertainty lands for me because at coach, I feel pretty good. But everything else is certainly a question, not necessarily a huge negative, just more of an uncertainty at this stage. All right. Before we get on to the remaining three storylines to touch on, which, by the way, again, are extension eligible players with regard to uh, who could be extended this summer. And then you can talk about some trade candidates potentially. And at the end of the show, some draft stuff. Before we get to all of that, though, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by the award-winning app at PrizePix. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. It's amazing. I know that you will love it. It's very easy to use. Plus, you can win a ton of money, 25 times that money on your entries at PrizePix. They have safe and fast withdrawals. And every day during the NBA playoffs, one PrizePix user will actually have the chance to become a millionaire. One entry placed after 8 a.m. Eastern time will be randomly selected each day. And whoever placed that entry will be getting a six-pick flex with the following payouts. If you get all six right, $1 million. If you get five to six, $80,000, four out of six, $16,000. And full details can be found at pricepicks.com slash million. You must opt in at that link at pricepicks.com slash million to be eligible for the million-dollar entry. Once you opt in, though, all you have to do is go ahead and play the game like normal. And you could be the lucky winner. Not only the app right now at pricepicks or at pricepicks.com. So I can play Dan Fantasy Sports. And by the way, if you're a first-time user as well, get 100% is a deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. Don't forget that promo code. It is locked on at sign up. We use a deposit match up to $100. Check it out now with pricepicks. And one more time, pricepicks.com slash million. Okay, and one of the topics that I want to touch on today is extension-eligible players, and the Hawks have three of them, in fact. Now, one is DeJounte Murray. It's an interesting situation. DeJounte is, of course, the number two guy on the roster. They traded a boatload for him from the Spurs. He finished year one just now, and he can be offered and can sign a four-year extension with the Hawks for more than $110 million this summer. That number rose as a result of the CBA changes. I've talked to a lot of people, though, in the last couple of weeks and months about Murray, um, the consensus was pre-CBA, there was no chance, like literally none, that Murray was going to sign an extension because he, they couldn't offer him enough money. Now there is a little bit more of a chance, but basically no one believes that Murray is going to sign the offer that the Hawks can offer him. If I'm the Hawks, I would offer the most possible, which is again about four years and about $110 million, a little bit more than that. Um, but Clutch Sports represents him. Again, no one believes he's going to take, take that deal. I don't think it's crazy as far as a low, as, as far as a sort of an underpay. But I do think that Clutch would be right to say no to it. I think he'll probably get more than that on the open market. And it's just one of those CBA things that tie the Hawks' hands. It's not a Hawks' problem. They didn't do anything wrong here. It's just that because Murray was making so little on a bargain extension with the Spurs that the Hawks can't – they have to build off of that. They can offer the most they they possibly can, I'm sure. I shouldn't say I'm sure. I'm mostly sure that they would call Murray's representative and say, look, here's the deal. This is is the best we can offer you. We can do the player option, whatever else we possibly can at the end of this deal. Will you take it? And Murray's people probably say no. But there you go. Um, I do think that the most likely scenario is Murray hitting free agency at the end of next year, at the end of next season. That is a tough spot to be for the Hawks, especially because they already paid so much in that trade for him that there is a chance that he leaves for nothing at the end of next season. Now they could still sign him to a large contract at, at the end of that. Um, the Hawks will not be limited at all. If the fact they'll have his bird rights, they could pay him the max at the end of next year. And I'll just say this now. I don't think Murray is going to be worth the absolute maximum the Hawks can pay him at the end of next summer. That would be a large contract, but uh, we'll see. Anyway, TBD, he's eligible for an extension. I think no one expects it, but it's at least plausible at this point. Then they have two more conventional rookie extension candidates in Sadiq Bey and Andeke Okonwu. 
I won't go into huge detail on these as far as like, we'll talk about these more later on in the summer, but worth putting, putting in these because they, these guys obviously want extensions. You want that security. And oftentimes these actually, actually get, really get done immediately, basically in July, or they drag all the way into October. Occasionally you'll have something in the middle, but there's kind of two prime windows. It's like right at the beginning of July and then in October, like right at the end of the process with regard to rookie extensions. And as a reminder, Hunter signed one of these deals last year. Uh, Herder signed one of these deals the year before. Um, these don't kick in until the following year. So everything I said before about the cap for next year, even if they were to sign Bay or Okongwu to extensions, that would not impact things until the 24-25 season. Keep that in mind. Even though you're even though you're, you're agreeing to them a year, a year ahead of time. Uh, Okongwu has not had the opportunity yet to be a starting center for the Hawks, which complicates things on all sides. But he is also, in my mind, pretty proven as a starting caliber center. He's 22 years old, huge upside, former lottery pick, all those things. Um, the decision-making with Okongwu, a lot of it kind of stems from what their plan is at center with regard to Capella and all that. But he is a guy that they want to keep around long-term. It's kind of hard to pay him what he's worth with Capella on the roster, which is what complicates some of this stuff. But I think Okongwu, as the number six overall pick, is going to be asking for a bunch of money, and he should. And uh, we'll see if the Hawks can find common ground there, especially if they don't move up from Capella in the coming weeks. Then you have Sadiq Bey. It was in a much different spot than a Kongwu because he doesn't have the same level of tenure with the Hawks, of course, or the same upside or the same draft pedigree as a Kongwu. He was a much lower pick, although he was a first rounder. Um, he's older. He's 24. At least right now, I think he's more of a bench guy, a good bench guy, like a top seven or eight guy on a roster, but not a like full-fledged starter. Where I think a Kongwu is much more clearly a starter on most teams than Bay right now. But he'll still want to get paid, and I think he should. There was reporting in Detroit that Bay was asking for $20 million plus in an annual extension. The Hawks probably should not give him that contract. That's a lot of money for what I believe is probably a backup, but a good backup again. And I think the Hawks probably won't give him that this summer. Now, I did pay a real price for him in the trade. I know it was a lot of second round picks. People don't really care about those, but they, they traded a lot for him, relatively speaking. I think they do like him, what he can bring, especially on offense with his shooting and his versatility and his toughness. I like Bay quite a bit, actually. His defense is a question, to be kind, but I think that he is certainly an interesting player and a valuable player. But uh, he's a guy that I think I, it's hard to figure out the extension talks for him because most guys, not, not not all, but most guys either sign at the kind of top of the market or you sign kind of that starter kind of contract. And I don't think he's either one of those things, but maybe he is open to a more security based deal where he gets like in that like Kevin Herter range of like 15 to $17 million a year. That would be a decent value, especially with the cap with where the cap's going, but TBD. But anyway, those guys are uh, up for extensions uh, one more guy, by the way, two more guys are eligible. If you want to say that they're eligible for extensions, Beat Krejci could sign an extension. I don't think he will. And then Cook Capella actually is, is, is eligible again in August. I would be shocked by that if he were to sign one. So that's really three guys to keep an eye on. It's Murray and then it's a Kongwun Bay and uh, TBD on all of those fronts. Um, with regard to the Kongwu conversation is our fourth topic on this podcast. That is the front court veterans and potential trade stuff. So I promise I'll have a lot more on this in the future. But for everyone asking who the most likely trade candidates on the roster are, I think it's pretty clearly John Collins and Clay Capella. That's not telling you that they're the only trade candidates. That's not saying that they have to be traded or that they definitely will be traded, but they are the most logical and most likely, in my mind, trade candidates. Now, the Hawks could move on from pretty much anyone on the roster realistically, other than I think Trey is not going to go anywhere. Um, I know there's been reporting to the contrary, but I think Trey is very safe to be here. Um, and obviously there's hierarchy. I think guys like Murray and AJ Griffin are much more off limits than others, but I think anyone could be traded potentially in the right move. But I do think if you simulate the offseason a bunch of times, the guys who get traded the most often would be Collins and Capella. So with Collins, we all kind of all know, all know the deal here. 
I am higher on him than most. I will certainly acknowledge that. I think he's been criminally underutilized offensively the last couple of years. He's one of the best, best pick and roll dive men in the whole league, and they just don't do that anymore with him for obvious reasons against the center and all that stuff. He's improved defensively a lot. Um, on the other hand, his jumper definitely did abandon him, and it definitely hurt the Hawks this year on offense. Um, that was problematic. That was, uh, you know, last year he was in this smaller role before they even brought in Murray, but then adding in DeJounte, I think, made life on John a lot harder on offense than even everybody else on the roster. Um, plus, he's been in rumors, as we all know, for like two and a half, three years consecutively at this point. Every single cycle he comes up, and I think people are surprised that he's not been traded already. So, I will say this. This is kind of my last shortened version on Collins. People are acting like it is a guarantee that he is traded, and I don't believe that's true. Now, I think you could certainly argue that it's more likely than not that he's moved, but um, we got, we've gotten here before. I think people have acted like this at, at times in the past. I've been very skeptical even though there's been lots of reporting that Collins was definitely or quote-unquote absolutely going to get moved, and he hasn't yet. Now, I am of firm belief, if you're a new listener, you might not know this, I think that uh, trades are harder than people realize that they are, and I think that's part of the deal with Collins. Now, are they motivated to trade him? We'll see. Uh, Landry didn't give like a ring endorsement necessarily of Collins on the way out of extra interviews, all that stuff, but I do think that there is a chance, maybe a small one, but certainly a chance that he's still back um, and I do think that honestly, it actually involves Capella as like, it's a lot easier in my mind as we transition to Capella to keep Collins if you trade Capella. And for me, I've often said those guys have actually worked very well together. If you look at the numbers, when, when they play together, they've actually almost always been good to the contrary of what you might think because of the lack of spacing with those two players. But I do think that long-term, especially with a Kong Wu, um, butting into the competition as a really good player. I think it will surprise me. It won't shock me, but it will surprise me if they bring back both John and Clint. And again, I think the most likely way that the Hawks keep Collins would be to trade Clint because of just the versatility factor there. My best guess is they'll move one of them. The situation is much different with Capella, though, because with Collins, um, his role has changed a lot, all that stuff. Capella is the same guy he's been. He's probably a little bit worse than he was two years ago just because of age, all that stuff. But he remains an above-average starting center. I think Capella gets a lot of heat from some corners of the Hawks fan base. It's kind of unjustified. I think part of that is because people like a Kongwu, and that's okay. They're both really good players. But Capella is a proven above-average starter at center. He's a very good player. He's extremely important to the rebounding and defense, etc. But again, the thing is, he's not going to get any younger at this point. And again, they, they messed it a lot in Kongwu. I think he's ready for the next step and all that stuff. It's not a bad thing to have two centers that are good. I'll say that. But at some point, they have to choose one of the avenues. They, those guys can't realistically play, play, play together a lot. It would be very reasonable to go ahead and move on, move on from Clint now. I said as someone who thinks Clint's very good, it would be totally, totally reasonable to trade him now because Kongwu is ready in my mind. Anyway, especially if you get value. Now, what I will say as my final salvo here is that I would not be in the business of giving away and when I say giving away, I mean trading for negative value or trading for nothing, Collins or Capella. You could argue that if you could just get off of Collins' contract for nothing bad coming back, that might be a reasonable avenue. I wouldn't hate that necessarily, but I would not be eager to do that. But I would not be just so desperate to trade either one of them that you, that you take a bad deal. I know that some Hawks fans would take anything for Collins or Capella right now, and I get it. But that's where I am standing at this point in time. But I do think if I had to guess, one of them will be gone. Um, maybe both. It's, it's possible, although I think less likely that they trade both of those guys, but that's where we'll leave it for now. And uh, certainly I will have more trade stuff on the horizon, but uh, because everybody's, everybody's been asking, yes, the most likely trade candidates are Collins and Capella in some order, and uh, we'll leave it there for now. All right, one more break here from our sponsors. When we come back, we'll finish up with some draft talk at the end of the show. All right, and we'll dive into the draft stuff right now. Again, I'm going to save like my takes on the draft for later. 
In fact, I already recorded a podcast that you will hear at some point in the next week or two with my friend Brian Schroeder um, on most of the candidates for the 15th overall pick because the Hawks have two picks in this draft, 15 and 46. That 46 pick is from New Orleans. It's a second rounder. It's not sexy, but it was a helpful draft selection. Also in the future, by the way, the Hawks in 2024 have their own pick and might have a first from the Kings. This is my reminder that nothing that Sacramento did this year in their miraculously impressive season impacted the pick other than some more optimism that the Hawks, uh, sorry, that the Kings are not a dumpster fire anymore. That's a nice thing for the Hawks to have, but the Hawks get the, the first round pick for the Kings in 2024. If the Kings make the playoffs next season, not this year, next season, if they don't, it becomes top 12 protected then top 10 protected. And then it becomes two seconds. If it is not conveyed 2025, the Hawks do not have a first round pick. They've traded that pick to San Antonio as part of the Murray trade. 2026, they have a pick swap with the Spurs. So they'll have a pick in the first round in 2026, but it's actually going to be the worst of the Hawks and the Spurs first rounders. And then in 2027, they've traded their pick again to the Spurs. So they're back on track after that with 2028 and beyond, but they're a little bit short on assets. Obviously, they're down um, two picks in full plus a swap. They do have the extra pick coming from the Kings if it conveys. So they're not in terrible shape, but they're in, in negative on, on the draft. And also they're below average on second round picks too, after trading a bunch of them to get Bay and Fernando and Matthews. So as for this year's draft, I have a bunch of guests lined up again. Brian's coming on pretty soon to talk about all of these guys, but the most interesting part of the draft is at the top, obviously with women Yama, that's not really a Hawks conversation, but I do think the Hawks are in a pretty decent spot at 15 overall. This is a class in my mind that is not necessarily super top heavy outside of women. Obviously he is a clear number one. I believe Scoot Henderson's a clear number two. And then, there's sort of a tier above where the Hawks are going to be from like three to, I don't know, seven or eight maybe of guys that I think are probably, you know, half tier, at least above the rest, whether it's Cam Whitmore or Jairus Walker, Brandon Miller, uh, the Thompson twins, et cetera. And then you get into where the Hawks are. And I believe there's probably like 15 guys that the Hawks could realistically draft at 15 overall. Not, 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 not who I would take, but realistically could be mocked there at this early juncture. This is again, pre-combine, pre-withdrawals, uh, all that stuff. But there isn't a huge gap for me between like 10 and like 25 or 30 in this class. So that's not a bad spot to be 15 necessarily. Um, there are a lot of interesting perimeter players that the Hawks could look at, especially the guys who can, guys who can defend because the Hawks do need some more point of attack defense. I think Casey Wallace of Kentucky is the primary guy that I would sort of put in that archetype. Kobe Bufkin of Michigan, Keontae George. Um, there are all kinds of names. Anthony Black is more of like a hybrid. He's more like 6'7", a good defender though. From Arkansas, if you were to follow them. And then lots of wing slash forward types. Bryce Sensiball and Taylor Hendricks of UCF and Chris Murray of Iowa. Derek Whitehead's got a lot of attention because he's from Duke and it'd be kind of following the, uh, the Hawks um, recent line in the draft where they just draft the Duke guy who falls to them. <laughs> it's kind of a funny thing that's been happening in recent days. Um, Jet Howard from Michigan. There's all kinds of names up and down the board here, but again, casting a wide net. Also they could draft Derek Lively, especially if they were to move on from Click Capella. Derek Lively is a seven, one true like rim running center, not a guy that I would draft like in the top five, but at 15, Totally reasonable pick. And if they, again, move on from Clint, they're going to need a big seven-footer probably type to have behind a Kongu for versatility perspective. So all that said, they have a lot of options and it's a good, valuable pick to have. And by the way, they could also trade up. They could trade down. They could trade out entirely. It would not surprise me in the least for where this team is right now if they were to trade that pick to try to improve the roster somewhere else. I'm not advocating for that, but it wouldn't shock me. And then, of course, the less sexy pick is at 46 overall. Not a pick that anyone's going to be terribly excited about, but it actually broke perfectly for Atlanta. Um, they had a pick coming from New Orleans that was top 45 protected. So the best possible case scenario for that pick was 46. 
and that's where it landed. So that's actually very helpful. Now, I'll make the joke now. The Hawks have sold second-round picks way too often for my liking, and that's happened before in the past. Hopefully they don't do that this time around. But um, at the very least, it's a chance to kind of take a flyer, and I've made this point before. I'm not trying to be negative, but the Hawks have not really hit on a second-round pick in a decade. Their last kind of quality second-round picks were Mike Scott and Mike Muscala, and that was about 10 years ago. Um, we'll see about Tyrese Martin, of course, but um, you know all those picks in the middle, they've either sold them or they missed on them and all that stuff. So it's a chance to have, kind of add somebody, maybe trade it for something else or hopefully not sell it, but there you go. And uh, that's where the Hawks are at this stage. So I've covered a lot of ground on this podcast. I know that I've said a lot of things in about a half hour, but five broad storylines does not cover everything. Obviously, there is plenty to discuss with the actual current roster and how things work. And um, I will have guests on to talk about that. I'll give my own opinions. I have before throughout the whole rest of the season about the defensive issues. Number one, they have to improve the defense. That's not a secret. They all kind of know that, but they need more shooting. They need more defense. Um, and then we'll see what Quinn puts his sort of thumbprints on this roster this year. But that's kind of where we are at this point in time. New regime in place, draft stuff. Um, salary cap is a looming question for sure. Trades, etc. And hopefully that was a good sort of primer for the rest of the offseason. Again, please subscribe to this show anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Odyssey app, Google Play, Overcast, etc. We're also on YouTube. So please find us there and like and subscribe. If you want to help the podcast, the best possible way to do that is to subscribe and download multiple times, whether you want to do that on Spotify and Apple and kind of set it to an auto download or whatever. We do appreciate all those clicks and downloads definitely definitely helps us and helps our advertisers as well. Also, please Please, please leave ratings and reviews. Also, follow the show on Twitter at Lawton Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. Follow my written work on the Hawks, patreon.com slash BT Roland. Enjoy the rest of your Mondays listening to this podcast. We'll have much more to come later in the week. And we'll see you all next time.